Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Left Media Podcast. We're your host, I'm Mitchell. And I'm Mike. And today we're wrapping up the conclusion of the Christopher Nolan Batman series. Uh, we're going to be doing The Dark Knight Rises, and we have a very special guest on today in the form of Brett O'Shea from Revolutionary Left Radio. want to thank you for coming on, Brad. How you doing, buddy? Absolutely. I'm doing great. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, I'm a fan of the show and I love on Rev Left Radio. We do sort um, film analysis as well. So I love it. I'm kind of a, a film nerd, although I'm no expert. I'm trying to build up my, my understanding of film generally. Um, but yeah, I'm the host of Revolutionary Left Radio and the co-host of The Guillotine. I'm an organizer. I'm a philosophy nerd. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to have a really fun time parsing out the content of this film. And I think it's important to do that because analyzing film and analyzing cultural products are ways of analyzing society more broadly. And a lot of the ideas of society come through in film. And so it's a nice doorway through which we can explore and understand leftist and revolutionary concepts. And I know you guys are aware of that with your with your show, but it's always something that I find fascinating. So I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. And, and we thank you so much again for... Uh for your time uh, spending it doing this and and uh, that's that's why you know we we really wanted to do this show was was just to try and connect leftist themes to themes that are already kind of being consumed and understood in film and art and media and different things and and uh, and in in culture and I think that's so important and obviously we would not uh, be doing this if not for revolutionary left radio and your film analysis because uh, We've been big fans of your show for a while now, so we owe a lot to uh, to the fact that you you did that a while ago. And, yeah, the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode is is what turned me on to it, and and uh, I mean it had been years since I'd seen the the film, but uh, when when y'all were talking about it, it it was easily called back, and I was I was just uh, enamored with it because I I didn't know such a thing was I didn't know there was like kind of a medium for that and. Uh, I just thought it was was amazing and and cool, and then y'all recently did the the Mad Max, and and I've never seen any of those, but it, it was still quite the 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 listen. Uh, I, I just love this shit for lack of a better term. It's just it's just super cool to 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 see the parallels between the two and and uh, just equate the two and and what did what did this person mean with this or. Uh, yeah, it, it it's just a super fun medium to explore, and and it it basically inspired me to be able to do this. Wow, well that that's incredibly humbling. I wasn't aware that we acted as a catalyst for you guys' own show, but that's very much in line with our values and what we're trying to do, which is you know in the left podcast world there should be no sense of of competition. Rather, it should be a way that we all amplify and uplift and inspire each other, and we all are, are coming to leftist politics and the left podcast sphere from different perspectives. We have different tendencies or different life experiences or dif different focuses and emphasis. So you know. The, the more left-wing voices out there, the better. And I'm, I'm honored and humbled to hear that we've played a small role in inspiring you guys to pick up this project because it's a project that I like, I respect, I believe in, and I'm excited about. So that's, that's amazing. Well, again, we, we very much appreciate that, and we have nothing but respect for you all. So uh, 
let's uh, let's jump in. We're going to talk a little bit about the film itself before we go into the politics of the film, if that's all right. That's kind of what we do generally. Um, so here in just a second, we'll jump in. Before we go much further, I'd like to note that uh, it was directed by Christopher Nolan and uh, written by Christopher Nolan and Jonathan Nolan. Story by David S. Goyer and characters by Bob Kane. And it stars Christian Bale as Batman and Bruce Wayne, Anne Hathaway as Selina Kyle and Catwoman, Tom Hardy as Bane, Marion Cotillard as Miranda Tate, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Officer Blake, Michael Caine as Alfred, Gary Oldman as Gordon, and Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox. It was released in 2012, and the plot, according to Rotten Tomatoes, is... Quote, it has been eight years since Batman, in collusion with Commissioner Gordon, vanished into the night. Assuming responsibility for the death of Harvey Dent, Batman sacrificed everything for what he and Gordon hoped would be the greater good. However, the arrival of a cunning cat burglar and a merciless terrorist named Bane forced Batman out of exile and into a battle he may not be able to win. All right, and... Let's see. Let's let's begin by talking, like I said, a little bit about the film itself. Uh, we just like to go over some of the, you know, not too technical, but just go over some of the technical aspects, uh, in a sense, of the film. You know, we, we usually uh, talk a little bit about the directing and the, the cinematography and just certain shots and visuals and, and the approach overall and maybe if you have a favorite uh, scene or something like that. Uh, and then also, you know, uh, f- well, you know whether, whether it was well acted or not, and uh, also favorite lines. That's a big one for me. So uh, let, let's let's start with the, the writing. Um, do you all have any favorite lines? Uh, Brett, would you like to uh, to throw out there? I know if, if, if you want to start with a, uh, a quotation, I know sometimes we do that. We'll start off the, the lines or writing portion with that. Sure, yeah. Um, a couple of things. So uh, as for a quotation, that's a nice intro to this film, and especially my perspective on how I'm going to analyze it, is the, the famous Marx quote that says, the ideas of the ruling class are in every epoch the ruling ideas. And I think when we're studying film, especially, that, that doesn't speak so much to the content of the film itself, but it speaks to this meta sort of analysis of film and the roles that it play. And I think in this film specifically, the ideas that are coming through, which we'll get into, are the ideas of the ruling class. It, it, it sort of betrays the anxiety of the ruling class in the face of the economic collapse and the Occupy movement that, that rose up in its wake. And so from a meta perspective on the film itself, I think that Marx quote is particularly useful in how we're going to think about and analyze this film. Um, but as far as inside the film itself, I really, really love the the cat woman dancing with Bruce Wayne and, and says, a storm is coming, Mr. Wayne. And she's basically arguing like, you billionaires and, and you, you ruling elite, you have lived far too long in, in extreme luxury and comfort while the masses of people have been deprived of, of basic necessities and your, your time is coming. So batten down the hatches because this can't last forever. I think that is, that's a very Marxist dialectical way of thinking. <laughs> um, and it's also kind of inspiring and, and I rewound it and, and I, I listened to it again and I just, the whole way that was shot and the sort of sensual but, but threatening manner that Catwoman took up when, when she said that line is something that that I really liked and, and I found kind of fun and, and, and inspirational, etc. How about you guys? Yeah, that's a that's very well said. And 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 I mean, 
you know, that's one that I had written down for sure. Absolutely. Uh, there, there's something about the, the, the kind of tension there and, uh, it, it, it was well acted and it was, it was really well written, I thought. And, and, uh, just, especially like you said, a Marxist kind of dialectical perspective of, you know, you think this can last, you know, like she, she <laughs> she's kind of so aware of the obvious nature of the, you know, um, contradictions and possible kind of uh, probable collapse. It was really, uh, I love that part. Uh, Mitchell, do you, do you have a couple of lines yeah, here? I mean, that was, uh, that, that was pretty much my favorite line throughout the whole film. Uh, anything that, that, that Bane said, probably, uh, my, my most favorite thing that Bane said in the, uh, they were at the, uh, stock exchange and, and the, the dude was like, what are you doing here? There's no money here. And Bane's like, really? Why are you, then why are you people here? Yeah. And so yeah. He's, he's like, there's no money you can steal or whatever. Why are you people here? I thought yeah. that was great. <laughs> yeah. Super good. Super good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I thought I thought both of those. I mean, those are pretty much my two favorites. So those are right. those are pretty well covered. Um, you know, I thought that just to just to to throw uh, throw another one in there. Um, I thought uh, just a couple of lines that maybe the plot is kind of hinged on, and 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 that were maybe uh, centered around to some extent. I thought that uh, those two plus. Uh, Alfred talking, uh, saying, uh, quote, sometimes a man rises, sometimes the pit sends something back. Um, he was born and raised in hell on earth. Uh, any man too extreme for Ra's al Ghul is not to be trifled with. When he's kind of, the, end quote. And that's when he's kind of like trying to tell, I guess, Bruce um, that he's, you know, what he's up against, you know, and trying to understand Bane and... Um, and then uh, also the uh, maybe it's time we all stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day, Alfred. That was a great mm-hmm. scene too. Um, you know, I, I think some of those less applicable, I guess, to the political nature, but more of just what the plot is hinged on. Um, I think those were uh, you know some really good lines kind of worked in there, and uh, and that's definitely I, I thought it was the most confidently written and directed of the three. I know that the, the middle film gets a lot of praise and rightfully so. Sure. But, uh, but I, this mm-hmm. is always, this third film has always been my favorite. Yeah. Up until recently, I, I always thought the the second one was the best, but upon, uh, learning of coming to learn all of this, uh, leftist ideology and, and whatnot, it, it really opened my eyes to the, to the third one. And, and it's probably now my favorite just because of, of the, uh, the, the the confidence that Nolan had in it um, as as a as a film, the and and the writing and and uh, as you said, sure-footed for the uh, yeah. for the second one, and uh, just just some of the 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 dialogue and the writing was was just super good and and uh, was just it, yeah it's definitely now my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Visually, all all three films in the tr- trilogy are are beautiful. They're beautifully shot. It, it is almost it has a noir f- uh, feel to it. Um, I, I still I still want to say that the second film is my personal favorite. Um, I think I mean the Joker is just a iconic character at this point in the history of film generally, and I, I get I find that film to be more 
um, interesting and fun personally, but there is this this um, this film, the third one, Dark Knight Rises, is much more full of political content. I think it's certainly there in every Batman you know iteration, but in this one, it's it's really wrestling with some some really explicitly political concepts, and it's doing so right after a, a huge economic recession and the rise of a left populist movement. So, insofar as we can analyze political content, this film is ripe with it. Um, all of them are, are great films. And I, I do love the writing. I like the cinematography. Um, and though I'm going to go on to make some harsh critiques of, of Nolan throughout this throughout this episode, I still I mean he's a he's a good director, and um, you can't take that away from him. For sure. And and you know we uh, we welcome the critiques for sure. I mean you know that's that's what we do here is we're just gonna you know if you want to tear into it that's <laughs> that's great. We'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll 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 do that for sure. Uh, I think as far as you know, when you uh, when you mentioned visuals, I to me when um, when Bruce uh, and and Miss Tate at the time are are uh, laying in the in in the bed together, and it's kind of like a there's a, a sensual kind of scene, and and it, it's it's all cast in this orange red kind of light mm-hmm. about halfway through the film. That to me is like. You know, you said noir, and that's very, you know, very good observation. I think it's there's a lot of kind of darker tones throughout the whole series, uh, but but that one is is especially interesting to me because it's kind of there's a lot of that warm orange kind of tone, and it's very well shot. It feels classic to me for some reason. Uh, and then they they cut right to the icy blue of the bat cave and 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 Bruce you know getting the the suit out and everything i just visually i thought that was really impressive and they they really worked with like richer tones i feel like a a, a deeper blue uh backdrop of a, of a skyline and you know just just some darker and 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 deeper kind of uh richer tones in this film i i just happened to notice the the color scheme and and everything it was just a little bit different for me uh, in this final film, I don't, did, did, did either of you take that away or? I oh, sorry, Brett. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was just saying. I, I do. I find color fascinating, but it takes me. It takes me a few watches to really. Like you know, figure out how the color palette is used in a film. Um, but I, I mean, I agree with you as you're articulating it. I, I completely agree that that those shots were beautiful, and there was something different about this third film with regards to its use of color um, and its stark contrast from going from the you know warm colors of red and orange to the to the icy cold dark blues. I mean, yeah, it is a fascinating aesthetic experience. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, that's that's I think. I mean, maybe we can just attribute that to confidence and in, in the in the approach i mean you know it's it was the third film and i think that he also knew it was going to be the last one and and i i heard he was reluctant to come back for the third one i don't know yeah i heard um, that too but but i think maybe he was also just more willing to be a little bit more uh i don't know creative artistic just kind of free with some of those like um some of those things and and if that's the case i mean it came across you know either way but that's something that was kind of striking to me and and that i didn't really notice the first few times i watched it um but we definitely it was something i caught this time that i kind of appreciated more as a as an adult and as someone who is uh now like you called it kind of a film nerd but i'm i'm still learning too you know that's part of the process of this podcast is is just delving into films and learning you know the different aspects too so uh, we're kind of all on that journey. Um, anything else about the uh, how it was shot before we move on? I mean, well, did, oh, go ahead, Brett. 
Oh, I was going to ask if you guys wanted to touch on a favorite scene, um, gen- like beyond just the, just the shots and cinematography. Um, but whatever you were going to say, you can go ahead and just finish whatever you're going to say as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, anytime that they do a, a shot of of Batman like on on some tall ass structure and and he's just kind of looking down on the city, I'm I'm <laughs> always going to be a sucker for that. Uh, <laughs> for sure. I mean, there's there's this. Uh, several like comics where where he does it and it, it's it's like beautifully drawn. Um, I'm a huge comic nerd, so I uh, anytime that they're able to replicate that in into uh, an actual movie is is just always gonna it's it's gonna get me. But as for as as for favorite scene, um, either the uh, the the scene with Catwoman and and or Selena Kyle and and Bruce Wayne dancing in the ballroom, um, the scene between Alfred and and Bruce in the hallway where where Alfred's like I'm I'm not gonna bury I've, I've buried enough members of the Wayne family I won't do another one mm-hmm. that was incredibly acted uh, Michael Caine is is just always amazing in anything yeah. and then any any uh, either one of the uh, kind of mission statements that that Bane gave after the uh, after the football field exploded or in front of Blackgate prison. Yeah, and the football field was an incredible scene. I mean, visually it was a it was a lot to take in. Brett, uh, take it away. You you mentioned a couple of scenes. Yeah, well, yeah, the football scene was funny because they actually had real Pittsburgh Steelers players. Like I saw Ben Roethlisberger and Heinz Ward, and I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's kind of cool. Um, but my favorite scene, just viscerally, was the was the clash between the masses and the police. Um, first of all, it was in front of the New York Stock Exchange. And you have on one side all these, you know, uniformed police officers representing law and order. And then on the other hand, you have these people with red bandanas around their necks with heavy arms and fatigues just running at each other and clashing in this like epic sort of almost almost like historical clash back in the day when war was like just line up on a side of a field and run at each other. Um, It was kind of fun in that way. But one thing I noticed about that scene is that. You know this this whole film is sympathetic to the police, and it takes the it takes the perspective of the police. And so that scene, you're supposed to sort of feel like you're on the side of the police, as Batman is, and and, and relate to that side. I obviously didn't. I related to the opposite side. However, I noticed that by portraying the cops sympathetically, one thing that Nolan did was he didn't make them militarized. So in reality, if there was an actual clash between the proletariat, the masses, etc., and the police, as we've seen in Ferguson and Baltimore and everywhere where the left comes out to hit the streets, the, the police are not just 1940s wearing their badges and their hats and their regular uniforms. They are military. They're almost, they're, they're hyper-militarized. They have gas masks on. They have huge amounts of weaponry. And, and in the way that Nolan shot this clash, the cops didn't even have weapons. So the the the, the protesters, the masses, if it's a quick shot, but you can see that they have like semi-automatic rifles in their hands, many of them do, and other weapons. And when you go and you flash over to the cops, they don't even have utility belts on, if I remember correctly. It's, they're just in plain clothes with, with no weapons. So it's almost like the cops are the underdog. <laughs> so the way it was shot was absurd, but I, I found it viscerally exciting. Like I remember like kind of getting a surge of adrenaline to see <laughs> the police clashing with the people in, in this sort of way. I don't know. That's a really good point because I remember that episode you did with um, the, the, I can't remember his name at the moment, but uh, the, the guy that lived in Appalachia or the, yeah. in the Appalachians. And, and we talked, and y'all talked about the, uh, 
uh, the, the the coal miner uprising and and how like even way back then the 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 the, the military might that that rained down upon them just for wanting a better standard of living even back then the 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 right or whatever you want to call it the reactionary right just just doesn't hesitate to uh produce uh militaristic means of of dismantling the left in any kind of uprising so that's that's a super good point i I didn't think about that yeah i I love that i mean i I think that's a really great observation and and i think that you know uh just the the you know calling out how it was shot uh to give sympathy to the uh to to one side over the other is absolutely uh that's great because when you watch it it's not something that you necessarily um take in initially because it's it's done in such a way that you know it's kind of a predetermined you you're supposed to be on one side rather than the other but um but i i thought that too i i i think it's a very very good observation yeah and any other situation the the police would be heavily armed and and just massacre them yeah and, yeah exactly so. Yeah, super good point. Yeah, and 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 I think you know it, it reminds me of of when Bain is is uh, kind of giving his speech on the steps of what I guess is the prison or wherever he is, uh, and it's kind of like this this epic shot, and and around him, around some of the columns, uh, and like the the pillars that you see are like these these same uh, revolutionary looking. Uh, you know, individuals with the bandanas and the and the and the machine guns and things, and I just thought I thought that was so fucking cool how they did that. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure, I'm like I'm like they've got his fucking back while he's yeah. Like, it, <laughs> it was it was eerily reminiscent of, of of you see these these short clips of of stuff in and in, in Syria and the 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 the, the revolutionaries in, in Syria and and the the Philippines and India even it 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 was all very reminiscent of of seeing just regular everyday uh, revolutionaries on the ground and i uh that was one of the the things that i i thought of for sure yeah I, I, so i'm i'm really glad you brought that up bro that's a great that's it was a great visual and it was kind of in, it was it was kind of interwoven throughout different different parts of the film too uh, mm-hmm. so I, I yeah i think for uh for for favorite scenes i mean just the kids singing the anthem as the as you know cutting back and forth to Bane walking into the stadium, the cops scrambling around realizing that they're going to be trapped underground, and uh, you know and, and Bane saying that's a lovely voice, you know that's a lovely. Yeah, lovely. I, I want to say like Bane was the sweetest villain I've ever seen. He's so nice. He supplied the cops with water. He complimented that little boy singing. Uh, he, he gave plenty of warning time to that one dude. Said that he to, to search the guy, and then he was gonna kill him. Yeah, I mean sure. he was. Uh, oh, and 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 when he takes his helmet back in the in, in the, the stock in, in the stock exchange, he says he's thank he says thank you. I, I thought he was he was extremely polite. Every extremely polite, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he's gonna. He's you know he's he he's got a goal, and he's. Uh, He's not taking any shit, but he's also not going to be... He's not going to be rude about no, it. No, Batman, Batman's <laughs> the one who storms in and just breaks shit. And yells at and, people. And yells at people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very abrasive. And Bane said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be you the know? opposite. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I thought, uh, as you mentioned, Mitchell, also that, that scene between Alfred and, uh, and Bruce... Um, 
where um, it's really good dialogue and it's 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 a little bit sentimental, I guess, but it's uh, it's well acted and uh, and again, I, yeah, Michael Caine does a great job there. Uh, and and my my favorite scene though is the is definitely the Gotham Stock Exchange the takeover yeah um, mm, just for the, sure you know kind of uh, like you said brought on like a visceral level of just like what we see happening I I absolutely fucking love the fact that uh, you know I see a, a, all of these people uh, acting as workers and uh, you know at one point one the of henchmen the, yeah yeah uh, and and at one point I see uh, one of them who's mopping up the floor put that down and and pull a weapon out of the mop bucket you know oh nice nice to me i was like that's that's fucking cool you know i mean yeah all of these workers in their roles just kind of like upending the whole thing in the middle of the fucking stock exchange uh so to me i was just like that's really you know that really got me can i ask you guys a question though because this is something that i that I, i was struggling with um so when you're looking at Bane and you're looking at the way that the revolution is portrayed, certainly us on the left having the sort of conceptual apparatus of what revolution means and what, what the left is, and many of us, including myself, having participated in the Occupy movement as it was actually happening, um, we, we inject into Bane and into the revolution our concepts, um, and so it's like it's like we can put those in easily. But for the average person who's not overly political, I think that the I think that the film portrays Bane and the revolutionaries almost in this sort of like decontextualized way. There there are some good speeches that Bane gives, but you're never quite sure if he's giving those speeches because he has a deep heartfelt you know, connection with the oppressed or if he's giving them because they fit into this larger cynical plot that he's pursuing and the way that the revolutionaries sort of don't have their, their message isn't really given. I mean, outside of some speeches that Bain gives, it doesn't really say why, why so many people picked up arms. You know, obviously there's a, there's an, an indictment of a class society and inequality, etc. but that's never really given full throated articulation. Whereas the opposite side, you know the side of Batman and the police that that's articulated quite well, and and people sort of the non-politicized masses, the people that would watch this movie without having strong political commitments one way or the other, I think that they would much more likely understand the the counter-revolution, the police and Batman, more than they would understand what exactly are these people on the other side fighting for it. it it just seems like they're a group of armed thugs and and if you switch a few speech a few sentences in Bane's speech around they could just as easily be i mean religious terrorists or something it doesn't i mean of course it's like political and, and class-based and the whole rest of the film speaks to that but i just wonder how you guys think about how the revolution is portrayed because i think that there's a lot of revolutionary aesthetics there's a lot of sort of revolutionary rhetoric but I don't see a lot of revolutionary like substance. What What are your thoughts on that? Am I off base? Uh, no, I think that's I think that's great, and and I mean uh, you know I I one hundred percent agree, and I think that's that's purposeful, and and as you've you've pointed out that it's shot where it's uh and and written to where there's you know a certain amount of sympathy for one side over the other, uh of course like you said we do kind of interject our own and impose uh, on on Bane I guess our own ideas of the revolution or our own um, concepts of it or or you know what our um, motives would be or whatever. And there's a point I, I'd like to talk about uh, a little bit later, you know, kind of the, I, I want to explore just the motives of Bane and Catwoman and, 
and you know all of this if we can here in a little bit uh, and kind of really unpack that because I think it's really interesting. There's a lot there, but yeah, you know, I think that it, it's just like the way I thought in The Dark Knight uh, that Joker is seen. You know, he uses the word anarchy, and he's mm-hmm. kind of talking about anarchy being fair and. And and um, because it's you know natural or something, and it's like you know it, it's if you just all hands off kind of when he's talking about uh you know I'm I'm a dog uh, chasing whatever you know it's yeah. like so when, a car yeah. yeah yeah he wouldn't know what to do when he caught it he's he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of like uh, I guess kind of declaring to to Harvey Dent what he's all about uh, or or at least so we so we think so it appears and. And in that, he uses a lot of that verbiage and, and kind of, you know, uh, anarchist and, and revolutionary rhetoric in a sense, uh, but he never nails down exactly what has, you know, uh, what concept or framework he's working off of or any kind of blueprint for for this kind of thing. And it leads you kind of to believe that anarchists are simply these, um, you know... They like to blow shit up for no yeah, fucking reason. It's a real yeah nihilists. Yeah. Right, right. It's just a real kind of you know cynical and uh, mischaracterization of 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 anarchy and, and well, it's uh, the it's the it's the typical like Western watered down version of 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 what anarchy is. You ask anybody on, out on the streets and what is anarchy? Oh, it's it's blowing shit up. It's 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 chaos. Total chaos for for no reason. Right. When it's actually a a, a, a structural kind of uh, ideology slash economy or well, there's well, something a, to that effect. And I mean, there are so many different you know strains within sure. that. But it's like it it is definitely, in my opinion, in Dark Knight, kind of painted as something that's. Um, just chaos and 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 there's no control and it's uh it's definitely not painted in like a um you know a good light I didn't think and, and I think the same thing happens in Dark Knight Rises for Bane and his kind of revolutionary action or the you know it's less about the conditions and the class divide and any kind of you know uh specific adherence to any real um, doctrinal belief or ideology or, or tactics and more the kind of caricature or whatever, you know, the, the cultural yeah, yeah. Western understanding of what a revolutionary is, which is something negative often, you know? Right. And yep. it, and it's not yep. even like geared towards the whole city. It's not geared to the everyday people. It's, it's, it's geared specifically to the folks in prison and, and all of the, the people that were affected by the, the Harvey Dent act. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not even, uh, the for the liberation of the entire city against yes it's against the riches but it's only a select few that it's a, that that's against the riches or the rich folks yeah and I think that the, that liberating the you know the people of the of the prison I think is specifically kind of a, a supposed to be in a negative light I, I think that's you know any any kind of non politicized uh, viewing I think would say well well you're not supposed to let out all of these prisoners and let them run amok in the streets right, right. I mean that's got that's yeah. got to be general consensus um, exactly he ties it with criminals because he wants it to be scary and I think that the, what we're getting at and this is something I wrote down on my notes too 
is the reason that anarchy is portrayed as it is, especially in the, in the Dark Knight with Joker, and then this Bane could be almost be seen as like a Marxist revolutionary organizing the proletariat to revolt against a class society. The reason that both of those um, manifestations of left-wing politics are reduced to caricatures is because I don't think Nolan understands the left. And I think what comes out of both of these films, and I know a film is not just one man dictating everything, it's, it's hundreds and hundreds of people working together, but certainly the director has has that creative control and, and Nolan doesn't understand the left he just knows that he's scared of it because Nolan of course is a rich white man and he has bourgeois sort of tastes in, in the way he dresses and, and talks and speaks and when there's left wing movements that seek to undermine or challenge the very class society that people like Nolan benefit extraordinarily from it, it, it provokes in them a sense of anxiety. And so what we see in the way that the Joker's portrayed or the way that Bane is portrayed is, yeah, you're right, caricatures of what people think of as anarchy, i.e. chaos, or of Marxism, i.e. violence and, 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 and absurdity, just sort of like for its own sake. It's, it's scary. It's supposed to be scary. But I think it fundamentally is rooted in, in Nolan simply not understanding what our beef is with class society. He doesn't understand the philosophies of anarchism and Marxism. But he doesn't even understand our our perspective from on the bottom of this of this class hierarchy, and so his best attempts to portray that are necessarily going to be caricatures because he doesn't understand it. Do you guys agree with me on that? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I think you've, you've you've hit the nail on the head, and and uh, that's that's a great articulation of that, and I, I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a that that's very hard to dispute. I mean, it's it's. Very, very uh, likely that that he just like wanted to, to to take these ideas and and use them, but he didn't know really what he was using them for because <laughs> exactly yeah, and he used them you know to to create I think uh, uh, you know or, or or to kind of project the anxiety that he may have about it onto viewers mm-hmm. in a sense yeah and because I don't a- think he would intentionally try to create a character that almost like directly. Uh, aligns with with leftist ideals because i mean well apparently not without making him a villain right exactly yeah 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 yeah. so yeah i think that's a great observation and uh you know we have yet to really get into calling out the filmmaker and saying like what did you impose upon this film from your own self uh, and I think you've done that, and I think that's great because that's uh, an element that that I think maybe may we had not covered in this series and, yeah. uh, or much at all. So we certainly appreciate you bringing that. Absolutely. It, it, yeah, it's 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 very reminiscent. I uh, I'm a big fan of on uh, uh, mass the the podcast, and and I mm-hmm. his uh, his critiques of of Black Panther uh, certainly align with with this one, but but coming from a uh, a, a person of color's uh, perspective, and and uh, so yeah, that's that's a that's a super good point, I, and yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think yeah, I think Black Panther ranks up with with this film and Dark Knight in being really really well made superhero films like amazing. I think that the the flaws, if the flaws in the Dark Knight is that it's too conservative and too reactionary, the flaws of Black Panther is that it's too liberal. So it's not like the Black Panther is not reactionary. It's not conservative. It's fundamentally liberal, more more to the left than the Dark Knight for sure, but still fails to be you know lib- leftist and in a really anti capitalist 
anti-racist or anti-oppression or anti-imperialist perspective. And so if, if they both fail ideologically, they fail on different sides of the of the political spectrum. Right. And again, there's the there's the character of Killmonger who who is is portrayed as this bad guy. But I mean, any left is worth the salt kind of aligns with him and kind of agrees yeah, with, yeah. with his ideals. Well, yeah, he's like, yep. you know, hey, I want to use all of this technology and all of these uh, resources and advancements for, you know, the liberation of the oppressed. And the council or whatever of Wakanda is like, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about you. You, you, you know. That sounds scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just open it. Let's just open a science center instead. And <laughs> yeah. Call it good. yeah. Right. So uh, anyways, let, let's... Uh, Let's move to uh, usually to, to kind of cap off talking about uh, just more of the uh, you know technical aspects of the film. We like to give it a rating, um, and you know typically we'll do uh, uh, an overall between like you know just uh, any film out there, just overall you know one to ten. Um, ten being the Godfather, I think I think it's a great film. Um, whatever mm-hmm. your ten is is great. Um, but also with these kinds of movies and, and movies that are very genre specific and you can't always compare to other films and genres, we like to kind of keep it within that genre. As you said, uh, kind of comparing it to Black Panther and Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, they're, they're you know, probably the top of that, uh, the top tier of, of, of that scale. Uh, so, Brett, could you give us a rating on a 1 to 10 scale for like a superhero kind of movie and then a 1 to 10 scale uh for just an overall film? Sure, yeah. Genre-specific, it ranks up at the very top. Like, I think The Dark Knight is is a... The, with the one with the Joker is a 10 out of 10 and in so far as it's my favorite of the films I think this doesn't quite reach that but it's very close so in the genre itself and it's a genre that I don't actually really like like I'm not a superhero sort of guy like I, I, I find it to be overplayed and I, I find it to be a crutch Hollywood uses and I find it to be like weirdly sort of reactionary just inherently because superheroes are almost always reactionary and the villains are almost always the ones being creative so in the genre itself it's, it's, it's a top tier film one hundred percent. Now, zooming out to film more broadly, I would that rating would obviously come down for me. Um, I'd put it around maybe um, a seven or an eight overall. Depends. It's, it's kind of hard for me to balance it or kind of think about it in this broader idea of films because there's so many different variables coming into play. Um, but it, it would it would lower once we zoom out. What what are your guys' thoughts? For sure, and I, I think that's a great point about uh, about just the genre and the the idea of these superhero films kind of taking over uh, right now. I mean, uh, you know, it's been a big, big thing for the last, like, 10 years, and it's only getting bigger, and I think the nature of of those, uh, that's that's really interesting, the political nature of those. You see that in Captain America and the Winter Soldier, and, you know, that was oh, like yeah. that was one that was just like super on the on the nose, but well, it's definitely it's definitely post the, the superhero genre exploded post nine eleven. It's it's a cultural attempt to sort of find out what the real heroes are and and how we can fight back. And so many scenes, especially in the early two thousands, superhero films. There's it's not a mistake that people are clashing in New York type cities and buildings are falling to the ground in film after film after film. It's it's an American society rattled by a huge terror attack trying desperately to sort of project its own grapple really with its own precarious position its own position as global cop almost you know and um so it's it's confusing in the same way that american society is confused in the wake of of 9-11 and i think that goes a long way in explaining this 
giant burst of superhero films that we've had for the last almost 20 years now. Didn't y'all touch on that with the lit crit guy and your in your capitalist realism? Yeah, we did. I, I think it was actually, maybe it might have been in our gothic Marxism episode, but I think we definitely touched on that in one of my conversations with, uh, with the lit crit guy for sure. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's... Uh that's really, really great, and uh, I mean that, that's that's I've not heard it articulated that way. Right that, to me, I mean that's that's uh, that's exactly it, and uh, um, I think I think that's a really interesting um, to kind of parallel it with the uh, you know different things uh, in history. I, I think that's that's absolutely a, a why it's kind of blown up, uh, I guess so to so to speak. Uh, Mitchell, do you have a, a rating? Uh, yeah. So as a as a as a genre specific i'm i'm gonna go with a a 9.5 um while i i i think it's become my favorite in terms of of uh uh i guess like writing wise and whatnot uh i i think i think uh bane was was more of a relatable character uh in, in a sense just because of of what he was ultimately standing for even though it, it was kind of vague like like we talked about earlier uh, I, I still think that the dark knight is probably a better overall movie in terms of of everything but but i think i i just relate more to bane as a as a person um so so a 9.5 as a as a genre specific and then i think an eight and a half for for a, a film outside of its genre what about you mike um yeah i mean you know I I think I'm going to have to I it may sound odd but I think I'm going to have to say that this is like the 10 for me wow. uh in the genre I, I I mean I'm I know I have a bias towards it I mean that's just uh, it's my favorite one and it's hard for me to separate that but like I said about the just the usage of color and I mean just the different kind of you know it, it's the longest one and it's also the one where I felt like I didn't feel bored at any point, you know, I, I did not feel like it dropped off at any point. And that's just, you know, that's hard to do when it's like a nearly three hour movie. So, uh, you know, to me, it, it really held my interest the whole time. And, and I just, I thought, you know, I, I know I'm probably not, um, I know that's kind of, uh, a minority opinion, I guess, but, but I, 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 I totally get how the dark Knight is, 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 um, maybe a better film but i still gotta go with this one uh so i probably put this one as a 10 for the genre and then i would say uh i think maybe an eight and a half or a nine overall um i'm probably you know a little bit too sympathetic to to it as just a film in general but i but i just i i'm really for some reason i'm a sucker for the way that the um the camera was used in this one more than any of the others and uh and yeah, I, I, I really loved it. I thought it wrapped everything up well. And, and again, I'm also kind of a sucker for how it just kind of, um, you know, wrapped everything up and, and kind of concluded everything, uh, and how it all kind of culminated. So, uh, that's, that's where I'm at. Hot take. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think we are all kind of more or less in alignment. Some, like, I think you might be a little more sympathetic than I am, but overall we kind of like in the genre, it's a, it's a top tier, you know, film 100% and zooming out as a film. Generally, it's still a really, really good film. So I, I think if, I think we can all agree on that, that basic idea. Absolutely. And, and like you said, you know, Black Panther, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, those are pretty much the, the, that that's as good as it gets right there for the genre. 
I haven't I haven't seen Logan, but I've heard that that that's a really good film too. Although I I can't say anything about it because I've yet to see it. Man, it was it was, I it was, it's super good, yeah. but it it's probably only gonna be like a film that you you kind of only visit like one time because of how heavy it okay. is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I'd I love. Heard, I heard that. I'd love to say that I enjoyed it. I'm not sure that that's like the right uh, way to put it. It was certainly an experience. I mean, I, it's a great it, film. It's, it's great. Yeah, it's just it's really depressing and hard to watch. Yeah, and apparently mm. they did a black and white version as well. Uh, Ooh. That they released on on DVD or something. And uh, I, as much as I want to go back and watch that, I'm like, man, I'm gonna have to put some distance though between yeah. the original, the first time, <laughs> the first time I saw it in, in the theater, and then uh, you know viewing the, especially like a more kind of somber black and white tone. Oh, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh man, that's I want to see it, but I've I've still yet to because of that. I mean, it's just so heavy. And yeah, I caught it on HBO for for a free trial or whatever and i was like well i guess i'll watch it and then 30 minutes into it i was like "Ooh, what a mistake this was <laughs> just, yeah. i just had to go like curl up in a bri- uh, blanket and eat some ice cream over it it's, it's just it's a lot it's a great <laughs> film for sure but it's yeah well that that actually makes me even more excited to watch it so <laughs> i can't wait to, to dive into that but yeah let us know what you think for sure because it's there's, okay. there's a lot there uh, well, anyways, um, let's jump into uh, to the political side of this. I know that we've uh, we've spent uh, already some time uh, on a, on a, on a good bit of that, and uh, there's just a couple of issues uh, here that we you know I- issues as far as uh, what we find in the film where we call them you know just the the issues we cover. It's like you know uh, some issues I, I found were bourgeois politics as a whole. I think that we can talk about that and, and Harvey Dent, the Dent Act, and the celebration, you know, that kind of opens the film and, and different things. And um, there's a kind of a there's also kind of a theme of uh, as a separate issue: good capitalists versus bad capitalists. The good cops and the good good guys on the police force versus the bad ones. Like Flass is kind of a dirty cop, and Gordon is the is the is the uh, you know is the ideal cop. Of course, that is a little bit turned on its head in this film as well. Um, but, uh, I, I just think we can kind of compare and contrast that a little bit. Uh, and, uh, the police as a whole, I think we should talk about for a few minutes just because that's an issue all its own in this series. And especially in this, um, in this, uh, this, this film and, uh, class divide is, uh, I think, everywhere in the series, and uh, especially in this film, I think it comes to a head in this film, kind of as you said, about the motives of, uh, of some of these characters. And then we'll, we'll just kind of move on to, 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 to the antagonist uh, kind of motives, just the, the entire uh, um, idea, you know, behind all of these, you know, behind Catwoman and... Um, and Bane and, and their motives and why they do what they do. And, and, uh, you know, I think, I think that pretty well covers it as far as the issues and we'll just kind of work down on one by one, if that's all right. Um, yeah. uh, do you have any more that you'd like to add to that list or, or that you'd like to, to, to talk about? 
Yeah, I, I can start off with saying some some general things. I do the touching on Catwoman. I think that I have like I've watched a lot of analysis and read a lot of analysis of this film, and you know Catwoman is talked about a lot. But I think I might have something unique to say on that front, so I'm excited to get to that later. But overall, I would just kind of start off this conversation, although we've already kind of started it, but um, just by saying that in my in my in my interpretation, like the film is a fundamentally reactionary film. I think it's fundamentally condescending to workers and the masses insofar as, as how they're portrayed as just just eternally like manipulatable. Like the, the people themselves are just almost pawns. They're, they're portrayed as pawns. Their struggles, their their conflicts, their day-to-day lives are completely absent from this film. And it's just funneled through a bunch of like almost mindless drones following an objectively bad person in Bane. At least that's how it's supposed to be portrayed. So I find that to be con descending um and just it's it's total whitewashing of of people generally as a philosophy nerd i do think that there are um hobbesian and and burkean you know thomas hobbes and edmund burke are two classic liberal or even conservative philosophers um hobbes is famous for life is nasty brutish and short in a state of nature and and uh, edmund burke was like a english um, statesman. He fought with Thomas Paine over the French Revolution. He did not approve of it, although he did have some things approvingly to say of the American Revolution. But ultimately, both represent a sort of conservative viewpoint, a, a fear, a fear of too much change too quickly. And um, and and I think those sorts, of, those sort of philosophical elements come through in this entire film and how it's portrayed. The French Revolution. It's it's ironic because the French Revolution. Is is definitely portrayed here. I mean, when you have Scarecrow sitting atop a revolutionary tribunal sentencing people to crimes, that is an explicit callback to the French Revolution and and Scarecrow is taking the place of Robespierre. But but what is ironic about it is that the French Revolution was a bourgeois revolution. It was it was not a, a radical communist revolution. It was it was revolting against the older feudalist sort of social relations and bringing in the sort of capitalist, liberal, bourgeois state of being in the world. And it had its excesses and then it had its counter-revolution. But overall, the bourgeois revolution is precisely the things that allowed people like Nolan to exist today. It, it created a capitalistic class society. And although it was an improvement on feudalism, portraying the French Revolution as if it is some communist thing and not a bourgeois thing was kind of funny and ironic because it's those revolutions that gave rise to the bourgeois world order. So I guess that's my, my opening salvo uh, and, and my sort of orientation to the film. And so I'd like to hear what you guys have to think about, about that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's great. And, and of course, very well said. And, and I mean, you know, I think that just speaks to the misunderstanding again of the left and of, you know, the entire kind of revolutionary ideas and concepts and general kind of uh, history and political landscape that Nolan approaches this with, uh, like you said, I mean, especially with the kind of the Hobbesian take and uh, and 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 the, the the French Revolution. I mean, that's a that's a great, I think, parallel to that. And uh, I didn't think about that when I saw that first, like you know, uh, Scarecrow holding court and kind of sentencing these executives and things. But that's a that's a really great. Uh, um, Comparison, I think Mitchell. Yeah, I I really can't uh, make any comments over <laughs> any philosoph- philosophical stuff. I, I have started recently listening to Phil or 
philosophize this. So so maybe <laughs> maybe in a little bit I, I can I can chime in on some uh but but it just seems like the, the, the thing the phrase that, that comes to mind for for Nolan and, and his his take on uh, these films is it, it's like he he uses it it, it just like kind of harkens back to me that that phrase you you use that word but i don't think you know what it means because like he, <laughs> he wants to use the word anarchy and and thinks he has this like definite grasp on it and he wants to use the, the like he, he he makes bane say the word oppressors a whole bunch and 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 that's synonymous with the left and and this that <laughs> and the other and it's like yeah but do you really know what you're you're getting at here do you know like why we use those words do you know like why we have these motives and intentions and why we want to rebel and i i'd I, like like we talked about earlier i just i i just think it, it goes over his his slick back hair yep <laughs> absolutely uh, for sure. and another i'll go ahead no, 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 go ahead uh, another thing i wanted to say is even when you look at the other film um the dark knight with joker i think it's very clear um, and you know the idea that Batman is fascistic and, and bourgeois. He's a billionaire who who you know doesn't address structural problems, which you guys touched on in your last episode. There isn't a, a structural critique of why crime occurs. There's just a beating it over the head as much as you can to to, to put it down. And that that is that is fundamentally reactionary in that it, it it totally you know neglects and rejects the idea that there's institutional issues. Even the way that the cops are portrayed, it is it is bad apple logic. There are bad cops or there are bad politicians or there are bad capitalists, but it's not institutionally bad. It's just individually bad. And so all we need to do is elect good people into government or, or get good people onto the police force and that that will solve the problem. That's a, that's a fundamental liberal delusion, and I think it comes up in this film. Um, but I do want to also say that going to my original point that I started off with is that from Batman to the Joker to Bane to Catwoman, they are all manifestations of a class society. They are all trying to operate inside the confines of a class society. And there is that Marxist quote that's really famous where Marx says, it is not the consciousness of men that determine their existence, but their social existence that determines their consciousness. And what he's saying is that the, the way people think, the way people behave, the way people relate to one another is not just some, it doesn't come from some fundamental human nature that's that's abstracted away from social context, but it is shaped and it is molded by the social context in which they live. And if you agree with that, which you should because it's objectively correct, then you have to look at all of these all of these um players in the Batman universe as manifestations of a class society. And when you when you lack an institutional systemic critique, um, you, you just perpetuate the problem. There is no end in sight. The Batman or some version of him or some superhero will always have to come back because there will always be a criminal trying to make money that needs to be hit over the head and shoved into a cage. And that is just how you perpetually play this game. There's no end in sight. And there there is a sort of end of history idea that, that all we need to do is just elect some good, better people. But the institutions and the systems that we're operating in are fundamentally okay. And, you know, that that's reactionary. And so I think we have to understand that. And at one point, Bane is, Bane is a mercenary. And, and it's even said that, that he was instrumental in staging and helping develop a coup in West Africa to secure mining operations for uh, John Daggett, one of, the, one of the capitalists in the film. So even Bane, who is portrayed as a revolutionary in the end of the film or throughout this film, the backstory to Bane is he was actually you know, a hired gun for corporations trying to secure mining rights in, in the global south. So even Bane has that, that sort of contradiction at his core that uh, sort 
sort of undermines his uh, revolutionary chops, if you will. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, and I, 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 I thought that was strange too. You know, that kind of contradiction with 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 Bain. Um, I was wondering if if uh, there was something more to that backstory, or if it was just. Um, like you said, kind of a, a general undermining of the, uh, you know, revolutionary principles he was kind of putting out there, or if it was sh- supposed to show some kind of contradiction in those, you know, ideas or in Bain himself or something, but um, and to paint it in a negative light. You know, I, I also think that uh, that as far as the um, the structural solutions and the fact that these uh, they're, all these characters are kind of operating within this um, society and within these class divisions uh, is really important because it goes back to the first uh, film where, you know, we touched on a little bit where uh, Thomas Wayne says, you know, hey, the, these people have um, experienced a lot of, uh, of, of you know, uh, hardships or whatever, and, and so we built them a... Uh, a, a you know a transportation system and put our big fucking uh, you know landmark of a, of a Wayne Enterprise building in the middle of it you know Just so they as can a so they can reminder. yeah so they can be reminded who fucking saved them you know and I mean mm-hmm. what what good's a, a transportation system gonna do if they I mean sure it's it's cheap but I mean systemically what is it what is that fixing other than just like I mean you can get around from place to place that's fucking great what are you gonna do like once you get there. Well, in transportation, yeah. Yeah, and the, on the whole thing is, well, you know, a lot of people can't get to work because you know to, to to make money and then survive. But it's also like, well, if people, you know, if workers can't get to work, shit can't operate. So there's also that where it's like, you know, uh, very often capitalists and and kind of liberal politicians and everything will talk about helping people out by getting a, you know mass transportation on track so that people can get to work and do these jobs which is great because they need to make money and they need to eat they need to feed their families so on and so forth but also you know they don't talk about the fact that they need the workers to get to work too because yeah. they don't do the fucking work themselves the workers yep exactly you know that's something that politicians even liberal politicians that we want to paint as you know or celebrate you know paint as 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 some sort of you know um, good for for people, uh, you know, experiencing uh, you know poverty or, or or something like that. It's like, you know, they're not really upfront and honest about the fact that, you know, they need the workers for all of this to operate. And I think that's a little bit disingenuous too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, you know, you guys just talking like that, it reminded me of, of sort of connections here. I think, like, Batman is this neoliberal billionaire, and he kind of has aspects of, like, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and even Donald Trump, insofar as, like, putting Wayne Enterprises in big lettering across his building. You know, it's, it's, it's like exactly like Trump. Same amount of characters and everything. Um, and it's like this flaunting of their wealth, and there's a real lack of imagination when it comes to Bezos and Musk, especially, um, with what to do with all their money. And I think you know tossing some dollars to charity is seen as like that's enough right batman does it um bezos and musk do it and so their defenders are like see they actually do give back they're philanthropists they're good people but in reality there's like this weird 
it's his, yeah, it's his inability to understand structural causes to problems. And insofar as like Musk and Bezos have both talked about fleeing the planet at some point, it's like they, they can't even imagine um, a system where it's sustainable. And so they just take capitalism for granted and just kind of in their subconscious realize that it's going to result in the total destruction of the planet. And so instead of trying to understand the institutional systemic causes of environmental degradation, it's just better to plan about how we how can we get off the planet? How can we fund these little SpaceX programs to get off the planet? And you can even take it further and say that um, this might be a stretch, but bear with me, that, that Nolan, um, that Christopher Nolan in his movie Interstellar, was also giving giving voice to this anxiety and this idea that that even in the midst of of a destroyed planet that we always have the option to go off planet and that that's what we should be thinking about and that's where we should be putting our political imagination and it's like you guys are so disconnected you guys are so delusional that you think that you can just trash this planet and leave it behind and you know that's what the left does the left is like yo stop that's that's not a solution that is that is nihilistic in its outlook and it fundamentally refuses to engage with the the institutional problems of global capitalism and there's there's no way we're going to be able to trash this planet and fly and terraform mars because if we have the technology to fly to mars and terraform it then we have the goddamn technology to make earth sustainable and livable for all people and so i think i think that comes up a lot in this film it's not even a viable option because like they 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 want to like talk to us about it like Look at what we can fucking do. We could go to Mars if we wanted to. What they what they fail to say though is we're we're not taking you guys with us though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's we? <laughs> right. And 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 that it'll make them, you know, ungodly amounts of money and so on. But um you know, I think really what's uh I think that's great and I think what's at the at the heart of this is that you know, like you said, that kind of good capitalist liberal delusion is is really kind of found all throughout. Because I mean, it, you know, fairly early on in the film, um, when Bruce finds out the money is 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 not being sent to orphanages anymore from from Officer Blake, um, then he talks to Alfred and he talks to Fox and he realizes that no profits coming in are a bad thing, and that his corporation not functioning at its you know highest capability. Uh, is is somehow you know a, a big core problem with Gotham now, and because he hasn't gotten his ass out and and made enough money or something, he can't do enough charity, and therefore things are failing. That's just a reinforcement of that kind of again, as you called it, liberal delusion that uh, that there's the good capitalist and uh, that charitable good is going to kind of save the world and. Uh, I think maybe, you know, we could give him a little credit for, you know, kind of kind of discontinuing the fusion reactor project and saying he's going to lose profits over it uh, after he realized it can be weaponized. Um, But also, you know, he weaponizes so much for his own of his own resources for his own vigilante activity that I'm not really sure that that's even yeah. And I mean, even still, like even in 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 uh, Batman Begins, um, that one dude even says like uh, they they had that microwave emitter, and he even goes on to say, I don't think Thomas Wayne would have wanted uh, weapons manufacturing to be going on. So his his name is is still attached to this. Uh, his company that's that's making all these weapons of war and then like you said he's he's weaponizing all of these things for himself to to go beat the shit out of poor people yeah and i find (laughs) find it you know funny that the thing that gets his ass out of bed is like my company's not doing well 
<laughs> yeah, like, and, it, and, it, and it comes around again because after Bane gives his speech at 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 Blackgate, he like throat propels himself violently out of bed, and he's like, "Oh my fucking god, I gotta protect capitalism." <laughs> when, he's in the, when he's in the prison, yeah, yeah when yeah. he's trying to fix yeah, his yeah. back, he like hurls himself out of bed. It's like, yeah. oh god, I gotta fix this quick. That's the, <laughs> yeah, that was the wake up call yeah. he needed this whole time, right? <laughs> and even yeah, exactly. And even his uh, charity is a is a boy's orphanage. So even that reflects his own narcissism because he was a boy and he was an orphan. And so you know his ability to understand the plight of people it gets funneled through his own individual experiences. And it's not a, a broader empathy for for people outside of what he himself had to go through. And on the right, you see this often where, you know, like right-wing politicians and stuff, they will be reactionary until something hits close to home. So it's like, oh, Dick Cheney was opposed to gay marriage until he realized that his daughter was gay. And there's a million instances of this um, with the Reagans and the Bushes, etc. This ability for the right to only understand the plight of other people if it hits close to home for them. And that's the, that's the limit of their ability to empathize outside of their own situation. And I think that's reflected in, in the, the very charity that Batman props up and, and, and cares about. It's like, it's, it's still a reflection of his own self, you know? Right, and, that, and that, that's a great point because, uh, you know, we also talk about, like, how they have this blind spot for kind of, like, um, uh, systemic change, right? Uh, yep. And, you know, it, I think it's worth noting that if systemic change were to occur, Batman may no longer be needed. So it's mm-hmm. like maybe there's kind of an internal thing. Again, that might be a stretch, but maybe there's an internal thing within him um, that's filtered through, you know, if I if I no longer am I'm kind of uh, blind to the idea that this is going to be a systemic thing, uh, then I can't go beat up criminals and seem needed anymore. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that's kind of uh, just just all um, wrapped up in that in that topic, uh, and 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 I think it's like. There's a you mentioned something about kind of a disposable nature in which they the they treat the the planet and so on and uh, that's kind of uh, all throughout this film as well because um, that you know even in the, at the beginning when they have this like really kind of bourgeois celebration and and put this spin on on uh, celebrating Harvey Dent at the beginning of the film um, and talking about the Dent Act and all this then. Uh, you know, a couple of guys are talking. I think it's one. One of them is the congressman, and uh, they're talking. He says he's a hero, talking about Gordon, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, the other one says, "Yeah, a war hero, but this is peacetime." You know, yeah. that yeah. speaks to the dispensability of of people in this system as well. I mean, in the police yep. force, in capitalism, in the economy, in the military. I mean, there's a there's a, a kind of you know. Uh, conveyor belt type thing there where, you know, it's with workers, it's with even, you know, people who are heroes to these people. It's still, there's a dispensability about it. I mean, everybody's uh, expendable. Right. Yeah. As long, as long as the, as long as the system continues, you know? (laughs) Right. And that's, and that's, you know, again, if, if it stays individual, then it can stay dispensable. You know, if there's something big and systemic, it's a, it's a much larger uh, conversation. Um, exactly, but uh, moving on to the to the you know to the police factor, I guess uh, kind of jumping off of that. If uh, if that's cool, um, what did you guys? What was your takeaway of like you know? I know I know uh, Brett. You kind of mentioned uh, 
earlier on about your 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 take on the how they you know kind of make the police the heroes and um, non-militaristic and and so on. But um, you know, it's like Officer Blake is like the community cop. He's the he's like the the nicest guy in the whole film, right? So I mean, he's painted mm-hmm. as like a really kind of uh, innocent, nice guy, even even holding. Gordon to his uh, his flaws later in the film. Um, do y'all have a take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just I would kind of echo the idea that there's this there's this like um, there's this uh, relationship that depends on one one another. So like what the, what Batman is to his villains, cops are to criminals, and that they need each other, and they're both manifestations of they're two sides of the same coin. They're co instantiated, and to to eliminate criminals or criminality would be to eliminate the need for cops, just as to eliminate the villains, Joker, Bane, etc., would be to eliminate Batman and his very conception of himself. So there is this co-instantiation of two sides of the same coin and there's never an attempt to eradicate the coin itself but just have this consistent back and forth between the two sides of it and the portraying of the police in a positive light even like i just think it like i know i said this earlier but it's 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 so arrogant and it's so absurd to to portray the cops as underdogs like that's how they are portrayed they are portrayed as the underdogs especially in the last scene and they're portrayed as these heroic defenders of law and order in the face of complete chaos and and in in reality cops are agents of chaos cops are not here to serve and protect us they're not here to make sure society runs smoothly for its own sake they're here to be the attack dogs of the ruling class to fundamentally protect property relations and to prop up this system with violence on the ground often in poor communities and communities of color so portraying cops as any other thing portraying them as underdogs is way way out of bounds you know it's way beyond the pale it's absurd and it it's uh, frustrating. Uh, that's that's how I kind of that's how I took it in at least. Absolutely, yeah, and and you know that's kind of uh, and you know it, it, that's along the lines of, of of how Batman is as well is is portrayed because uh, he's really as we as we saw in the the Dark Knight at the beginning uh, he has no jurisdiction so he's kind of seen as a almost painted as a radical character at times because of I guess his actions or 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 what he's able to do with his resources, but he's definitely just like an extension of, uh, and another tool of like the status quo to kind of engineer that and keep things the way that they are, uh, and protect, you know, certain classes. And I think he's just an aggressive reformer, you know, with, with no jurisdiction and a bunch of fucking resources because he's rich. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's just kind of used as an extension of, of that anyways. Um, and I think that, uh, on that, you know, that early celebration where, where the mayor is talking about, uh, the dent act gave law enforcement teeth. I mean, shit, I believe it's very dangerous to give more power to police to crack down on these criminals and, and and poor when obviously the conditions and infrastructure of Gotham hasn't improved. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's what's created it. So, I mean, that's, that's, it, it, it's it's worth repeating because it's just it's all throughout this this uh, this series. Um, Mitchell, I know you had a question um, about kind of the bourgeois politics and kind of the nature of some of that um, as it relates to to kind of U.S. politicians and yeah. Doing, I just I just thought it was was weird and well I I get it because like it was originally based on the lie, but uh, speaking specifically on the uh, the Dent Act, 
it's uh it, it is based around a lie and and uh um they 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 go on to uh have have harvey dent day and and i wanted to ask y'all if if uh y'all thought that kind of like paralleled um to celebrating bourgeois uh politicians like like uh, uh truman uh, clinton Reagan and and even Obama, who are, are are still beloved bourgeois presidents, but but they're they're still responsible for for a whole bunch of fuck ups. I mean, like there there are obvious fuck ups like like Trump and 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 Bush, but they're not exactly like exalted uh, to the point like uh, uh, like like Reagan is. Like every you ask anybody, they 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 have a fucking love interest in, in fucking Ronald Reagan <laughs> right. for whatever reason when when he's responsible for, for the devastation of so much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so do we see a parallel there? Yeah. In the way that... I, I, go ahead, Brett. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely, I mean, I haven't thought about it until you asked that question, but I mean, absolutely. I think, I think there's an, a, an ability and a tendency not only to individualize complex historical and social processes in the form of one individual, one politician, etc., but as time goes on, it's much easier to whitewash the negative complexities of these characters and to exalt them over time. So the farther back you go in U.S. presidential history, the more and more and more they're exalted. So you can go back to, to JFK and everybody loves him. You go back further to Lincoln or George Washington, and they're almost lauded as like as like deified figures. And and you know all the complexities are whitewashed away. You know Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner and a rapist. You know these people were were murderers, and they are replicating aristocratic hierarchy in the New World. They're genociders. They're you know they're slavers. They're shitty fucking people. But because so much time has passed, and the realities of those. Um, situations are are removed and we can just simplify and caricaturize them they become easier to mythologize and i think we see that with the way that that dent dent is mythologized and the 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 lengths they go to to eradicate the negative aspects of of harvey dent himself and try to try to use him as a symbol to perpetuate the system yeah absolutely i mean i i I really can't add a whole lot to that because i think that was uh you know very well articulated and i and i uh i I 100 agree it's like it's really hard to find somebody who uh doesn't love reagan uh whether they know you know much about him or not um and you know everybody's gonna have their flaws i guess every you know um everybody's gonna have their issues but man it's uh that they all just kind of furthered a system that has um and, and and still propose no uh, that has a lot of problems and still propose no real systemic change and yeah and uh, you mentioned um, Bush right and you said Bush and Trump are like well you know the, the, them aside people are mythologized but now even Bush is being mythologized even by liberals you know in the face of Trump they want to go back and, and replicate and whitewash Bush and make him out to be well at least he was respectable I mean at least he had some manners and he knew how to be a leader it's like oh my God even liberals ugh. Yeah, specifically they're they're like, do you miss me yet? <laughs> that's a that's a good Bush impression. Yeah, yeah. So, somehow we've uh, we've gotten to the point where Bush is uh, where old W is is uh, is a uh, looked back on uh, as a nice guy or like a good good guy, and that's just scary. That's scary. Yeah, he's a child killer and a torturer and, and a criminal. Yeah. And 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 I mean he's like. 
Yeah, it's 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 really it's that's tough to watch. It's a yeah, thing it, uh, it, it it it's it's a really bad side effect of this really bad Trump presidency. You know, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but anyways, uh, so moving on to just kind of like the class divide issue. I mean, I know that's a kind of a, a kind of an all encompassing thing, and and it's really, uh, it's all over the place in these films. But uh, in particular, I mean. Uh, at the very beginning, I just think that, you know, kind of worker specific stuff in the beginning, uh, at that like party, that swanky fancy party that they're, uh, that they're having for, uh, Gordon and Dan and all that whole thing. You know, it's like Selena Kyle is serving drinks and she's like a disrespected worker, you know yeah. I mean? I know mm-hmm. She's kind of just posing as that, um, to get into, to get into the Wayne Manor, yeah, or Alfred whatever, didn't but, know that, so yeah, and she's disrespected by like people who she's serving drinks to, and then even you know by Alfred, who's like, why are your people using the main staircase? You know, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, to like keep up appearances, which it, it broke my heart a little bit because Alfred is uh, Alfred is like a, a, a dear old old man in, yeah, in most of it, to. and 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 he still kind of got snarky about that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, broke my heart a little bit, but. Um, what, uh, with Catwoman specifically, what, I mean, is there a tendency, is there a motive there? Um, you know, I guess that's my question is, uh, what, she kind of joins up with Batman later on. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's a little unclear. She doesn't really give any kind of big mission statement. If she does, it's the scene, I guess, where they're dancing. Uh, where, where did that all come from? Do you, do you, uh, do you have something on that? Yeah, so I guess I'll I'll use this right now to talk about you know my idea of Catwoman and how we as leftists can can understand the role she plays. Now, Catwoman is fundamentally a thief, a criminal. She makes her she makes her living by stealing from other people, often the rich. At one point, I think Batman refers to her as a Robin Hood type figure. But um, in the Marxist world, the underclass, the criminal underclass, are known as the lumpen proletariat. And there's lots of discussions about the revolutionary potential of the lumpen proletariat. Think street gangs, think mafias, etc. Think cartels even. They're still operating with capitalist logic, right? They're still trying to amass wealth. They still have like the, the, the underground black market version of, of capitalism. But they're fundamentally in the proletariat because they are alienated from the means of production. But this gives rise to a bunch of contradictions. So uh, there are revolutionary aspects of the lumpen proletariat insofar as they're not part of the bourgeoisie. But there's also really reactionary and um, you know counter-revolutionary tendencies within the lumpen proletariat. And of course, Nolan does not know any of this, and so he he did not consciously put this into the into the writing. But Catwoman ultimately siding with Batman is funnily enough a way that we can understand the contradictions inside the lumpen proletariat because you know she betrays batman initially for crude economic reasons if i remember correctly she was paid more by one side and so she kind of set him up for that really cool fight scene where bane just basically kicks the shit out of batman um but she, she's looking through the gates and she starts to feel like um sort of you're, you're you're led to feel like she has a moral conundrum that she's being faced with and then ultimately 
she sides with Batman and she sides with the police over the workers. And that kind of that kind of erases her great line earlier in the film where she's advocating for this this storm, this this proletarian rebellion that's coming, this this hatred of of uh, the class hierarchy of class society. But then later on, she totally sides with Batman, not because he's paying her more, but but ostensibly because she feels she's morally or ethically aligned with what he's trying to do. And that's that's confusing. I think that's a contradiction in the film itself. But I also think it's an interesting way that we can look at the lump and proletariat and struggle with that segment of society. Um, one last thing I'll say is that if you look at the mafia in, in, in uh, Italy, I don't, I don't know a lot about this. I'm certainly no expert on this, but from what I understand, there is a sort of nostalgia and respect for Mussolini among Italian mafiosas. And so that's interesting because the mafia, they're lumping proletariats. They, they make their living by being, you know, criminals. But at the same time, they do have some affinity for a fascist dictator. And, and that's a contradiction. Um, it's an interesting one and it's a challenging one. And I think inadvertently Catwoman plays that role in this film. And so that's that's kind of my unique take on on Catwoman and sort of the complexities of that character. Even though I love Catwoman, I love the character. It's just ultimately disappointing that she sides with with Batman and the forces of counter revolution and reaction. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's a that's a great take. I yeah, mean, absolutely. I, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I, I you know I think it's pretty obvious that there's that kind of contradiction in the film of like why is she doing that? It's a little bit confusing, especially at least you know kind of from from the um, a political perspective based on her earlier mm-hmm. earlier words, but I had not uh, not been able to to kind of parallel it uh, with that the way that you did. I mean, that's a great a great comparison, and I also think that yeah, I didn't know that about about uh, the mafia in Italy and their kind of affinity for Mussolini. So I mean, that's another really interesting and 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 kind of complex, uh, I guess. Um, conflict there that uh, I'm, we, we're definitely going to have to look into and explore yeah, a little bit yeah, more. Sure, I mean, the, <laughs> the most I was going to kind of kind of maybe loosely predict it might be reaching a little bit, but I was going to say maybe she's a she's an egoist uh, doing what what's in the in in best be, uh, best for her basically because it, at first it is going against uh, Bruce Wayne and, and trying to steal from him and to to advance herself and then uh even even as she like kind of switches sides it's it's still in her best interest so uh i don't i don't know like what because i, I know there's like two sides to, to egoism there's like uh, the, the left egoism and then like right egoism i, I don't know yeah. where it it that she would kind of fall on on either side because i don't know much about either side just that that it they they act in and and in, in their own self-interest basically right yeah and i'm certainly no egoist you know i'm a marxist um but you know dr bones my friend and co-host of the guillotine he, he refers to himself as an egoist communist and the the reason he puts communist on the end of that is precisely because he views his own individuality not as separated from social struggles in the collective but as an integral part of it and so he sees that his individual pursuit of his own self-actualization is in accord with this larger fight for everybody else's ability to self-actualize and so i really respect that and i think people don't fully understand i see a lot of marxists who are ostensibly on my side politically certainly um you 
you know, I'm, I draw from Lenin and Mao and all that shit. So I'm very, like, people have called me a tanky and whatever. But I see them being sort of unfair to egoism. And I, I certainly share some of their critiques and some of the, the concerns with egoism. But I also think that they don't fully have a, a real understanding of it. And so I hope that in the future I can talk about these different forms of individualism and different forms of egoism. As for Catwoman being an egoist, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I totally am with you on on her pursuing her own self-interest at any given moment, but it's almost incoherent what that self-interest is at the end. Because it doesn't it doesn't, you know, explicitly seem that she's benefiting from this. What is Catwoman going to you think that she would gain more by the destruction? of the class society that puts her in this position to have to continually commit crime, you know, rather than siding with the very forces that want to keep that class society in place. So I, I, I feel that there's something there, but it's, it's almost incoherent. And I think that might be ultimately traceable back to a flaw in the writing or just a lack of foresight in where this, this character, how this character is going to be developed. It's just kind of taken for granted that she has this obligation internally to side with Batman, but it's really unclear why she does that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's it, I, and I, I agree with that. I mean, because it's 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 got to be kind of tr- traced back to, uh, to to Nolan and and uh, just kind of the lack that, that just maybe just a, that knowledge gap. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I I think that that's really interesting. Um, and and shout out to to Doctor Bones. I mean, I've uh, I have not listened to uh, to the guillotine enough. But uh, he's certainly uh, given me a lot to think about. Just every time I've heard him say anything, he's, a, he's such a such a has such an interesting take on things. So he's an interesting out, person shout, overall. Shout to, he's cool. <laughs> yeah, shout out to him for keeping us on our toes and and, and uh, kind of introducing uh, ideas that uh, I was not aware of to the to the conversation too. For sure, absolutely. Um, so you know we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here in a little bit. Uh, I would like to. Uh, if you don't mind, talk a little bit about uh, Bane and his maybe uh, what tendency is propelling him or maybe some of his motives. I know we've already talked a little bit about that, but uh, if we could get into that a little bit, um, you know, I think it's it's tough because, you know, with his backstory, as you mentioned, being what it is, um, there's also the, uh, the, the, the point at which he, uh, he kills uh, Daggett, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he and he and, and Daggett says, you know, I I paid you a small fortune, and he replies with, uh, and that gives you power over me. Yes. Um, which I really loved, but uh, he and then he he goes on to say, I am Gotham's reckoning here to end the borrowed time you've been living on, and um, and then Daggett says, you're evil, and he says, I am necessary evil. So I think that's a really great exchange there, um, and he there there seems to be some emphasis from Bane on, on, on workers or, or, or something, because even with the guy in the cement truck, you know, kind of like yep. blocking the cops off and all of the people, you know, posing as workers in the stock exchange and, um, you know, th- things like that. Uh, it's like he, he kills the mayor bombing his like fancy box up there, uh, and goes for board members, holds them hostage. Um, you know, it, it seems there's um, it seems there's uh, something coherent there, but you know, as you said, it's it's kind of uh, um, there are some contradictions as well. So I, I just want to kind of throw that to you and, and get your take on that because there's just so much there. I feel like. 
Yeah, there is so much there. And I think I think um, Bane as a character suffers from some of the incoherency that Catwoman suffers from. Um, I You mentioned when he puts his or when he's talking to Daggett and he's like, you think that that your money means that you control me. Well, that's one of actually my favorite scenes now that you mention it is just when he he's he's like standing over him and, and Daggett has this sort of arrogance and this self-absorption that comes with being a capitalist. And Bane puts his hand on his shoulder, but not even like palm down. He does this really interesting thing where he just he puts his palm up on his shoulder and he looks at him and and right there is just this implicit this implicit threat of force and and Daggett is is supposed is looks up at Bane and and I think in that moment you can take you can take a um, a worker versus capitalist uh, concept out of there, right? Like the working class is is identified as Bane, this towering figure who who whose power is always right under the surface, and, and he can he can launch it at any moment. And the capitalist, in the face of it, is is arrogant until until the working class lays their hand on his shoulder and looks at him, and and, and he ha- he has to like look up and and meet the working class eye to eye. And at that moment, he trembles, he trembles in fear. And so I think um, there's something beautiful and powerful in that scene that that we. He can pull out and as you say he's a he's a prison abolitionist like he is he's a cop killer <laughs> he is he is revolutionary in those ways um and when he when he blows up the football field, I, I don't know what you guys think of it, and maybe I'm I'm being a little over analytical here, but it's almost like the spectacle falls away, right? The, the football players themselves die, <laughs> which is kind of interesting, but they, they, the the spectacle, the uh, the show, right? The sort of the sort of ideological um, spectacle that we all live in in a bourgeois society drops away quite literally. The field of play is no longer there, and the audience, the people that have just been sitting on the side sidelines watching the spectacle are now you know urged to to come out and fight for their own self-interest by Bane as he walks confidently onto the field and 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 sort of imbues to the people their own power Um, so there's lots of really really interesting powerful imagery and ideas that can be pulled out of Bane but there's also the contradiction that at some point I think he says that he wants to blow up he wants to blow up Gotham and uh, there's the there's the nuclear button that he's ready to push at any moment that Batman ultimately has to drive out into the ocean so if Bane is really all about, you know, revolution and lifting up the proletarian masses to overthrow their oppressors and live a life of freedom and democracy and meaning, well, then that contradicts completely with his willingness to blow them all up. So it's like, what is it? Is he cynically using revolutionary rhetoric um, to, to you know, lure people onto his side and just create chaos for its own sake? And that I think that would fit in with Nolan's idea of revolution as like a disgusting, unsavory thing. And so Bane being the leader of that revolution, if if Nolan can undermine his his real motivations by saying, well, this is all an act. He's not really, he doesn't really want the best for working people, right? He ultimately wants to just kill and create chaos and destroy them, but he's, he's luring them in and, you know, in, in Nolan's mind, us, us proletariat, us workers are so stupid, right? <laughs> and we're so easily manipulated that we just fall into Bane's, you know, sort of hypnotic um, speeches and we just carry out his will without even knowing what's best for ourselves. So that's the condescension towards us as workers but it's also I think the contradiction inherent in Bane's character and I think if we take Nolan as a reactionary and his perspective as a fundamentally conservative perspective then Bane himself is only cynically using the the rhetoric of revolution but he doesn't actually believe in it you know and that's that's sad because Bane is a awesome figure but it's it's kind of hard to understand him outside of that context 
Yeah, I, I think I, again, I think you've hit the nail on the head, and it's kind of like at first, it's it's easy to see that as like a kind of turning that old like uh, first century Roman uh, quotation of like give them bread and circuses and they'll never revolt kind of thing. Exactly, it's exactly. Kind of turning that on its head, right? Um, by exactly. saying like these are your circuses, these football games, and these are the things that keep you distracted. I'm gonna you know, rip all of that away so you have no choice but to kind of act in, in, in some sort of revolutionary way or, or in some sort of rebellion. Uh, and it's seen as kind of an empowerment of that. But uh, there's also that, that, that real condescension of just how willfully and, and blindly they kind of uh, get behind that. And, uh, and I think that all does come back to Nolan. I think that's great. Um, I'd like to read a, a little bit of the... Um, of what uh, Bain says, though. Okay. That's all right. Um, you know, in his kind of mission statement thing, like you said, uh, it's a little bit hypnotic, you know. Um, but, uh, quote, Gotham, take control of your city. This is the instrument of your liberation. Uh, we come here not as conquerors, but as liberators to return control of this city to the people. At first, a uh, sign of interference... From the outside world, this anonymous Gothamite, this unsung hero, will trigger the bomb. Uh, for now, martial law is in effect. Return to your homes, hold your families close, and wait. Tomorrow you claim what is rightfully yours. Uh, and that's interesting. I mean, that's kind of, again, I think that just reinforces what you said about uh, about how they're all kind of like, you know, it's kind of he's giving you these lines and everybody's just going to be like, well, you know, this must be in our interest, even though there's that's really not explained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think um, if somebody like Alan Moore wrote the character of Bane, he'd be a better character. But because because Nolan, you know, is writing is writing Bane, he becomes that weird sort of double-edged, contradictory character that's cynical and and shitty. But I think Bane and in, in Bane in somebody else's hands could be a really really fascinating truly revolutionary character he, he just in the he's in nolan's hands and so he's in the wrong hands you know but i, I love that speech i love that speech well, in the comic he is he's not so much of a of a, a, a revolutionary in in the comics but uh he he is uh incredibly intelligent in in the comic books that that first introduce him because like he he uh what he does is he 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 somehow like springs all the criminals from from Arkham free and uh, makes Batman do the runaround like trying to, to collect all these all these like uh, prisoners like the Joker and Scarecrow and and it takes Batman forever and it wears him out and then like right as as Batman like thinks he's done he can finally r- relax that's when Bane like and he already knows like it, it who Batman is it's Bruce Wayne he's like lying in wait at the at the uh bat cave and then like then their fight ensues and that's where the the epic like and the the uh, iconic back breaking scene comes from and that's where the the nolan got it so in the comics i mean he is portrayed as an incredibly smart villain and and uh, real skillful and and resourceful and whatnot and uh he he is portrayed intelligent in 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 uh in in the dark knight i hated his his uh character in the uh the the schumacher oh yeah that was awful but uh yeah he he is supposed to be uh, an incredibly intelligent uh, antagonist so and that's interesting that's a side i hadn't seen because i'd only seen the other movie and and i don't really read a lot of comic books so that's a 
Same. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because yeah. I, I wouldn't have known that. Um, but, you know, I, I, uh, I want to point out just that, you know, one, I like that Bane used Batman's own infrastructure and military, like, weaponry against him. I just think that was yeah. kind of cool that, like, that he kind of um, just just kind of took the resources that, uh, you know, uh, that Batman was using for his own thing to kind of maintain that status quo and, and kind of subverted that. Um, because there's, you know, there's one point where, like, all of those guys in, in like, bandanas and everything are, like, riding on the tanks and shit, I think, yep. you know? Um, thought mm-hmm. that was kind of cool. But, um... One thing that kind of made me mad in the, uh, in the when when Bruce was like training to, to come back is is uh, the, the guy says uh, not a man from privilege concerning Talia's escape from the prison, and it it just kind of reinforced the whole uh, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. Wayne's like Bruce's privilege to to be able to study all these like fighting styles and to harden and, like, shape his body, ultimately, like, led him to be able to escape, whereas the, the child's determination for a better life uh, is, is what willed her on. And, and it wasn't to, like, get back to, to, to protect this, like, I, I guess basically protect capitalism. It was just to, to get the fuck out of a prison, whereas, and it, it just made, yeah, that just was a kind of a sore spot for me because it, it, it all just comes back to, to Bruce's privilege and... and all of these things that he's able to do because he's such a wealthy man. Yep. Yeah, and, and just just like um, we were talking earlier about how, like, and it's been said many times that the Batman depends on the Joker and the Joker depends on Batman and insert any Batman villain and it's like this, you know, the, the two sides of the same coin sort of thing. Well, that that, that also applies to, to the economics of it because Batman, Bruce Wayne, being a billionaire is fundamentally premised on other people's poverty, you know, in a world where you have both billionaires and homeless people, you know, it's, it's a disgusting, unjust world, but the very fact that there are billionaires means there has to be other people who are either sleeping in gutters or cleaning toilets or doing whatever you know horrible low-end job for little pay as possible so other people can amass huge mountains of cash. And so it's in Batman and Bruce Wayne's economic class interest to maintain you know the class society that he so easily benefits from and if i'm not wrong it's not bruce wayne who built up this stuff it's his father and so he is this he is this rich trust fund kid that gets handed all the advantages just like a trump figure who who, you know who gets handed everything in life and still feels like he deserves it and and he's willing to go he's willing to go out into the streets and violently beat poor people up to make sure that that economic you know, position of his is not ultimately challenged or undermined. And that's disgusting. And that's what makes Batman fundamentally bourgeois and even fascist character. Yeah, I, I think it's very well said and I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to quickly kind of point out that, uh, a little bit of hypocrisy, I, I think here. And, uh, when, um, when officer Blake and, and Gordon are speaking to one another near the end of the film and, uh, and Gordon said, it's a great line, but Gordon says, uh, quote, there is a point far out there when the structures fail you and the rules aren't weapons anymore, they're shackles, uh, end mm-hmm. quote. And I think, you know, I, I thought I thought that was well-written just because it has some sort of, I guess, kind of uh, thing to it. Um, there's a little bit of like, kind of poetry to it, I guess, but there's a, such, like, hypocrisy there because that also should apply 
to Bane and these, you know, so-called revolutionaries and all of that and Catwoman. Exactly. And it doesn't. You know, it's very one-sided again and, and, and it's very much weighted in the interest of, you know, the elite and, and, and the status quo and what's already going on in Gotham. And, uh, and you know, if that were true and if Gordon were really correct about that, uh, or that was a message that, that, that the film was really trying to get out there, um, then that would apply to the revolutionary activity of Bane and it wouldn't be so, you know, cast in such a negative light and vilified. Yeah, great point. Absolutely. But, you know, I, I think that, uh, that it, the film was, uh, it, it, it's an impressive film for me. I'll, I'll, uh, of course, I mean, now, you know, the, the more informed that, that, uh, I've gotten and, 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 uh, you know, I'll I'll never watch these movies quite the same way as yeah. I did on the first you know, when I was <laughs> exactly. younger. But but that's necessary. You know, that's that's uh, being aware of those things, and uh, you know, that's that's a, a huge reason why we do the podcast because we're we're just kind of you know regular guys, and we we just want to kind of kind of get uh, take these things that are kind of out there in media that we see as as normal or regular or whatever, that and say like, is that something that is, you know, pushing a message. Should we be conscious of this? You know, is, is there something subliminal about this? Is there something that is kind of being fed to us that we need to reject? Or, you know, it, it's just kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, and, it, and it, there's so much of it in this series and in this film. And, and, uh, and I think, you know, you, you've uh, you, you just in, in what you've said here, Brett. Uh, I, I, I feel I've I've been much more informed, and I've I've learned a whole lot about about all this uh, today. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, same for, same for you guys. I mean, this is so fun. Um, hopefully, we can do it again in the future. I love what you guys are doing, and a top. Um, Aside from everything else, all the benefits of analyzing popular culture to get at deeper truths about the society we live in, it's also a really helpful way to to reach people who aren't politicized, right? Because we, because we do share this cultural terrain, and we do all know the Batman myth, and we, we do watch these movies, even the political, the non-political, all across the spectrum. And so these are touchstones that we can use to, to get into a common space with the non-politicized and help them understand these broader you know, social issues. It's much easier to, to talk about Batman to somebody who's not political than to talk about Das Kapital, you know? But we're getting across the same ideas. And so that's why this project that you guys are doing is is really interesting. And I know you guys have talked about expanding it beyond just movies and to talk about other aspects of popular culture like like songs and music videos. And I think that's amazing. And I think this is really, really important stuff. And we have to meet people where they are. And this is one brilliant way of doing it. So props to you guys. Keep up the great work. I'm, I'm honored to have been on. Well, th- thank you so much. And, and that's exactly how we feel about it. I mean... You, uh, you, you said it there. That's yeah. I mean, that that's pretty much like like we're like you said. We're we're not gonna get anywhere talking to to, to just regular hardworking people like you said. Trying to to well, have you read Capital by by Karl Marx? You'll you'll understand everything <laughs> there. <laughs> but it, it it it's it's just not gonna work. So like this this approach like not only like meets them where they are. But it, it, it makes it like more interesting because if, if you talk to yep. him from a from a like I, w- I was like super fascinated by the fact that that uh, you you were uh, so quick to, to like 
say Batman was a, a, a fascist in a sense, and I was like, hmm, well, that's that's super interesting, and and I'm I'm still like I'm always learning about this stuff, just just always mm-hmm. just a just a sponge, and and when when something comes across, it uh, most people like want to want to like push back on it, and and whereas like people that I know like. They're all like, well, well, how, how, how does that apply? How is Batman a fascist? And I was super excited by the by by the prospect of you coming on and and being able to to articulate that. And if you if you just find the right string of words to to, to lay all of this stuff out, it's I mean it, it's going to reach people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, I'm I'm still the way Marx especially writes is so like esoteric in a sense that it's it's for me. I'm still figuring out. I have not read all of, of Mark's yeah, work, I, I, you know, and so it's me, like, me neither. Yeah, I mean, I'm still I'm no expert in this. I am, you know, very much kind of a layman in, in a lot of that, and uh, just kind of you know unpacking a lot of this and listening to your show and and just kind of unpacking it, uh, trying to sort out what's in these films and in this media is, you know, it's helping me grow also as a leftist and and uh, so you know I I, I just. Uh, you know, hopefully we can keep doing that because, uh, and, and hopefully it's, um, you know, kind of, uh, something that's, that's, that's getting at kind of the heart of that. Like you said, just, uh, um, taking something that's a cultural kind of, uh, landscape of media that we all share and being able to translate something, you know, through that. Yep. So, absolutely. Uh, again, you know, we, we really appreciate you and, uh, and we would love to do it again, and uh, we, we hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly have. We've Absolutely. learned a lot. We've had a great time. And uh, we, we thank everybody for tuning in, of course. Um, Brett, do you want to, uh, to, to, again, just kind of reiterate and tell everybody about, uh, about your work? I'm sure everybody listening knows it, but, um, <laughs> but just go ahead and, 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 and talk about it just a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Yeah. One, yeah. One last thing is like you were just mentioning about how you're still learning and I want to make it very clear that we all are. And, um, I always talk about this, but I think on, especially on social media, there's a tendency to portray yourself as, as knowing more than you do. And there's a tendency in, in all of us to look at other people who seem like they know what they're talking about and figure them to be much smarter than ourselves. In reality, we all need to be honest about what we don't know. I, I don't know a lot, lot more than I do know. I have not read every word of Karl Marx. I do not, you know, I'm not, I do not know everything. And I think what we should do and the best way to learn and develop as, as radicals and just as human beings is to be genuinely open, to be genuinely intellectually curious and to be more interested in learning than being right. Because there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that there's still to learn and having working class people like us talk to each other as opposed to be talked down to by somebody higher than us is a great way to like not only learn, but to like it, uh, inculcate that idea that we should all be humble and open and treat each other with respect and help each other develop because the goal is not to stand atop some hierarchy of, of intellects or, or what you know and what you don't know. The goal is to liberate people from fucking oppression. And that means humility. That means talking to each other. That means being open to ideas that you might not fully understand or even fully like and to be pushing forward in a positive way that reinforces solidarity and doesn't undermine it. But having said that, 
Of course, I'm the host of Rev Left Radio. Tune in, the guillotine, tune in. Anybody that listens and supports us, we're you know eternally grateful and, and humble in the face of it. So, so yeah, thanks for having me on, and I'm 100% down to do this again. This was legitimately fun, and uh, and it's, it's exciting to do this stuff. And I had not watched these films since I was young when they first came out, and so I've developed so much politically since then that going back and revisiting these films with this sort of you know new political understanding has been really fascinating and challenging and interesting. So uh, thank you again for having me on and, and letting me do this with you guys. In any time, we we uh, we just thank you very much for for taking your time. I mean, we all we, we all you know have to have to work for a living, and and we know that you do uh, a whole lot for uh, you know for the leftist communities and. And, and different podcasts, and we know you're busy. So, uh, just we, we very much appreciate you, and I think it's been a great conversation. And uh, thanks everybody for tuning in, and uh, we will uh, we will see you next week. All right, all right. Thanks everybody. Thanks. In solidarity, comrades. Solidarity.